welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast, where every week we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under, with your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. Hello and welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. I'm your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio, and today we are here to discuss the premiere of season two titled In the Game. Uh, today I have with me a high school classmate, brother of a former co-worker of mine, teacher and actor, Joey Caramano. Joey, how you doing? Um, not too bad. How are you tonight? All good, all good. Uh, if you've listened to any of the guest spots I've done on other podcasts, you'll know I used to live and work in Staten Island where Joey lives. And I had actually, like I said, he's a former co-worker of mine. Me and his brother used to work together doing uh, the trade side of the business. But um, if you're in the NYC area, uh, Joey will be in a stage production called, titled You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown at Snug Harbor Music Hall. And that's March 24th through April 2nd. Uh, I'm going to include a link on my website. Uh, if you're in the New York City area, we're just going to you know, try to promote it. Uh, I'll have the link on there, uh, sishows.com, to get tickets. Uh, Joey, leave Six Feet Under out of the way just for now. I know sure. zero about this show, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. So if you just want to kind of give me the premise of it and kind of your role in it. If you can, sure. Well, I'm. You know what? I don't know very much about it because I haven't read the script yet. I haven't gotten one. Okay. Um, but the the basic premise is it's the Charlie Brown crew characters, but they're being played by adults. So it's <laughs> kind of like I'm playing uh, Linus, right? So I'll be you know this overgrown, thumb sucking uh, guy with <laughs> a blanket, and that's really funny. That's you know, and then there's the uh, there's Snoopy also, which is someone you know, an adult dressed as a dog mm-hmm. and, and all that. Um, and and it, it's it's kind of like as if they were children, right? Uh, there's music to it. It's uh, it's not one of those shows where it's like an adult version and it, it's it's you know, uh, dirty or or sexual or anything. But mm-hmm. it's it's meant for a whole family. Uh, and when it when it came out um, on Broadway, it was. Uh, it was well received, and you'd say like, "How is a show like that gonna? It's a cartoon. How is it gonna right, right. last?" But it it did. It left, and then it came back. Um, and now it's done. You know, in high schools, colleges, and community theaters around. Uh, but we haven't really gotten started with the rehearsals yet. So um, as far as that's all I know about it, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of like to keep it that way until I get into the process. I'm not one to um, like look at different productions and and see what other people did. I like to just uh, go with whatever I'm feeling in the in the moment of the rehearsal. So wow, that's crazy. So it's yeah. it's we're about we're what we're two months under two months away from the first show, right? If if it starts yes. at March 24th. See, I in my head, it just not knowing anything about you know, just I'm someone who just pays my ticket and I just show up. That's I always thought like you would have been fully rehearsed by now and everything, but. Like, no, you don't even know anything yet. Is, is that common? Let me start there. Um, yeah, it, it, it is common, especially among, uh, you know, there people have schedules, right? So there's only a certain amount of time, like schedules of work and such. There's only a certain amount of time. So going into it, you know that already. So you have to make right, the most right. of your time uh, with every rehearsal. And also, you know, work 
on your own at home, you know, do your homework in that sense. Um, But, you know, some, this is not really a difficult show in terms of, uh, there's no big dance numbers. There's not, you know, very adequate. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. So it's going to, it'll come together uh, quickly once we all uh, get together and, you know, start working on it. I gotcha. And now uh, I had originally reached out to you because I had remembered that this episode uh, deals with the death of an actor, but like kind of watching it and, you know, we'll talk about it. It's not as uh, actor heavy as I thought it was. You know, um, there was an episode in season five where, uh, I'm sorry, episode five of season one where a porn star dies in the beginning. And I was going crazy trying to find the porn star to come on and talk about it. That episode deals so little with actual adult film world, you know. But let me let me let me let me two prong this. Um, you know, I still think, and because we were talking beforehand that you you were a, a fan of the show, and you are actually. Let me also state this here that you have attended mortuary school, and you're just you're basically what one credit one class short of. Yeah, yeah. The uh, what is it? That cosmetology. What that was the one that's still outstanding <laughs> on my uh, uh-huh. transcript. And that, that was hard to do because I did take the courses online. Yeah. So um, you know, and the book that we had was had to be from like the 1960s or something. Oh man. Uh, it was it was one of those. It was this thin green book with like little sketches on the inside. So it was <laughs> it was kind of difficult, but I always loved. The, the series uh-huh. six feet under and i remember the first time i heard about it was it was on sunday nights like all the hbo shows right i was watching the sopranos yeah and after the sopranos they advertised you know six feet under here's the show it's like oh a funeral i was always interested in like funeral homes and and you know families people that lived in it was just very interesting mm-hmm. And here's this show, you know, and my father, I remember he was, he was there and it might've been my brother too. I'm not sure. Uh, let's watch it. It's HBO. They're going to do things, you know, that we haven't (laughs) seen on other channels. And we, we watched it and I was like, wow, this family is so (laughs) messed up and so interesting. And they're in a funeral home. It was just like a very unique and interesting combination. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then as the show, the, the first season went on, it was like, oh, someone's going to die every episode. Right, right. Wow, just to tune in to see that and, and also to see how these family members are, um, you know, very much alive and changing and developing even within that first season. Yeah. You know, it's funny to your point. Uh, the, the, the director for this episode had done a commentary. And the first thing that he started saying was about how. Six Feet Under is a unique show, and that's like not surprising at all, right? But he kind of took it to a different level where he was just like, all the other great shows have comparable shows. You know, like if if you're a fan of Sopranos, you will you will definitely like Breaking Bad. If you like CSI, you'll definitely like Law and Order. You know, other two. Six Feet Under is, is such in a world by itself. Like, I can't think of the show I could say, if you like Six Feet Under, you're like this. And there's been no show where it's the families in the funeral home and all these characters. It's funny, like, as the series goes on and, you know, just to keep it to here to season two, it's funny. The funeral, you think a show about a funeral home, the funeral aspect of it kind of takes a back seat and these characters just kind of, you know, oh, yeah. blossom. 
I have never I've never looked at it that way of how unique the show is, and especially on a, on a network like HBO, you know. Yeah, and it was definitely ahead of its time oh, yeah, back then. Of course, and even even now, if it aired now, just as this, with the same characters and storyline, I still think it would be ahead of its time um, in terms of maybe not just shock value, but also just the types and the depths of the stories that they uh, that they go through the the characters. I mean, they're just so interesting. <laughs> I wouldn't be doing this podcast if it didn't kind of hold up. Well, I, there, there, there's definitely, let me say this, there's definitely parts of it that don't hold up and it shows its age. And I kind of do it almost every episode where, you know, there's like a, there's a, a, a cell phone or, or a website, whatever, something like that. Uh, overall, right. you know, the show holds up, but uh, the, the life that this show has and just kind of the depths as it goes through each, it, it's timeless in that aspect. And if the show wasn't so great, you know, I don't think I'd have the uh, the backing in terms of people who I actually are interested in doing the podcast, you know, so that's that's definitely. Um... Yeah. And and I've watched the series maybe about three times start to finish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being able to do that alone is because, like, why am I going to watch it again? I know what happens. I But I want to. I get drawn in and. The, the, the characters, the problems, the issues they're dealing with, whether it's, you know, David and his, his breakup. Like, I would never be in that situation of breaking up with a cop who is, <laughs> right. uh, who is black, who is a man, who is, you know, all of these things. But yet, you can relate to it. Mm-hmm. You can relate to what he's going through as far as right now. You know, we see in this episode, he's, he's dating again. You know, we know what that's like yeah. and how it's not always great Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. even now like there's different ways to meet people and date and do things but you don't see that um you know the technology like there's no tinder back then or anything like that but yet the experience is the same and the emotions and makes it relatable uh just the same yeah and it's it's funny you bring up that tinder thing and uh there's a part in the episode where there's there's like a, a 2001 version of Tinder. But with that being said, uh, I think we can now get into it. Our episode aired March 3rd, 2002. And like I said, this is the first episode of season two. This episode was written by Alan Ball and was directed by Rodrigo Garcia. And this is actually his third episode thus far, directing on Six Feet Under. Our Death Capsule starts out with... One of those, maybe you can help me out here on what a better description is of what I'm trying to say, uh, kind of breaks the fourth wall because we're watching an audience watch a movie. Is yeah. that a dimension or a wall or whatever the terminology there is? Yeah, well, like, it starts out where um, the actress is, what is she, in the house or something and she's looking at the photograph yeah. and talking to someone. And you, you know, we don't know that she's in a movie. We just think that she's going to get you know drop dead of something or other mm-hmm. but then you see the guy out with the mask on and all that and you're like oh wow and then you see the audience mm-hmm. um so so yeah it's like one tell after another right. after another uh like these little reveals that they do and, and that's something that's so great about these death capsules is there's always it's intentionally misleading you think she's going to die. Then you think this one's going to die. Then now we find out right. where she's actually in a movie theater. And then we find out she's actually at an after party. And at the after party, she's in the bathroom, you know, doing uh, cocaine. But Rebecca Milford and the actress that we're looking, that we take a tour with is Becky Maxwell. And she's at the premiere of her movie. Did you happen to catch the name of the movie that that's playing? 
I missed that. <laughs> Whack job. <laughs> I thought yeah, it was pretty. Sorry, now that you, yeah. They, wasn't, there was a poster yeah, or something on yeah. it. Yeah. And it was an exceptionally gruesome uh-huh, death. Uh-huh. <laughs> based on the reactions of the of the people there. And she was proud of it. Yeah, yeah. She was like, oh, that was, you know. When it, she was complimenting their, uh, herself to who was that guy she was with saying, you know, they said it was the, the best scene in the whole movie. <laughs> That's her, her boyfriend, Brody. And, you know, he'll be a character in this episode. And they're at the, the after party of sorts, the premiere party. And, you know, yeah, they're kind of both going along about, you know, who will not or who will show some skin on screen. And, you know, in between each of these breaks, we just see her going to the bathroom and just... Uh, sniffing cocaine and in her Mm -hmm. final time doing so she overdoses right it's a fun scene just because like you know it's not fun because obviously something rather tragic happens um but to me and maybe this is sort of my age showing or maybe just how disconnected i am sometimes from this stuff i like i said let me preface it it's really sad what happened but when she starts convulsing overdosing my initial reaction was to be so grossed out that she was doing that on a bathroom floor, like in the stalls. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, that is, you know, mind you, how gross. She's dead, right? But I was like, God, that must be so gross. All the germs that must be on her her back or whatever, you know. And she was sitting on that toilet doing the coke, but I didn't see her put any lining down on that toilet. <laughs> yeah. too, you know? Like she was basically asking for it, right? Like. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was it was very even though we kind of knew oh she's going to overdose, she's going to die, but it was very yeah, it was uncomfortable yeah, seeing yeah. that because it was very realistic. Uh-huh. There was like quiet around you hear her body like hitting the, the you know the tiles and and all that yeah. and it was it's that side of like, you know, luckily we don't get to see people when they when they overdose. Right, That's right. you know one of the I guess blessings of it. We don't see that, but you know, then there's that stillness mm-hmm. right after. Um, and it, it, it just like that, that was one that, that kind of like I was thinking about afterwards, mm-hmm. like that kind of death, because you know, on, you know, where we live up here in Staten Island, there is a, there's a pretty bit of a problem with, um, yeah. with uh, people overdosing on uh, heroin. Yeah. And, you know, you hear about it in the news, you hear about the numbers oh, were up to, I think last year it was like 80 something people. I could be wrong, mm-hmm, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But you hear about that, but then when you actually see, you know, someone going through that process, that overdose, yeah. uh, it, it's it's disturbing. It's disturbing because it's not familiar. And I guess that's a good thing that it's not familiar, <laughs> right, that we're not right. seeing that all the time, mm-hmm. you know? nonetheless on the bathroom floor of a <laughs> club or whatever and it's funny like the the how do i say this the sound of a gruesome let's just say stabbing like i think we've been kind of desensitized to it but just how like you were saying just the sound of her the the throw up and just the sound of her kind of fluttering against the floor like yeah. that's that's something yeah like i've never you know you've never i've never seen that before and i've never seen that like you know in in media in a, a medium form like this um that just brings such a, a realism to it you know especially when there's no like overarching score where there's you know the music swells up you know it's just just her body fluttering you know that's that's something yeah it was very matter of fact mm-hmm. you know and i wonder like when they were filming that if that was something where she you know had to 
be coached as far as like when someone overdoses, this is what happens. Yeah. And this is how the body or if it was kind of just, you know, get on the floor, collapse and kind of move around, flail around or something. Yeah. I always think about things like that. Um, and, and I actually did a lot during this episode thinking about how um, and I did when I watched the whole series, like they're actors, but they're, you know, what brings them to that moment with, with the choice that they make with, you know, with anyone dying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. does that remind them of someone that they've actually known that's died? And we see that throughout the show where, you know, when, you know, David or, or Federico are, are embalming, they, it kind of reminds them of someone, um, you know, of yeah. their character. Yeah. It reminds them of someone that had died and it like takes them back. So I'm wondering like if those actors are reminded of things within uh, the show. And especially in this episode. Yeah, and, and and when we were doing our intro, I kind of passed by it because I, I did want to go back to it. Is that, like I said, I had reached out to you because I knew you were an actor, but also, you know, and then when I seen how little the 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 art the actress acting family plays a role in this episode, I was like, oh no, but you still you still could give insight, especially on the show. And you know, even later, I had learned that you know you had went to mortuary school, and obviously with your brother, but. You could also give insight into like, you know, David has to, you have to get into a certain mindset, right? Yeah. Any character in anything they're doing, you know, yeah. the beginning scene, right? They, they're, they're setting up and they're like, okay, this scene starts out, you two are f- faking, right? Having sex. And uh-huh. Nate's just on top of Brenda and he just has to, you know, go to town. You have to put yourself in a certain mindset to do so i don't know like let me ask you this that scene right uh let's say you're nate (laughs) i don't want to put you in a weird position but how would you like you and your 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 who you're working with on that scene how do you go about that i mean it's just like i'm just gonna dry hump you until and then we'll start going through (laughs) our lines until you say your line you know and you hope that you get it done the first time you don't have to do it again (laughs) you know some idiot sneezed and uh you got to start over but um, it, it's, it's, that has a lot to do with, um, being able to trust the actor that you're with, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of be like, all right, we're in this together. Uh, you know, we have a common purpose. Let's go to it. Um, and just being, you know, focused and professional, it's almost like out of sight, out of mind, you know, yeah. like this is something I have to do kind of like what the things that you're faced with as a funeral director mm-hmm. You don't want to have to, you know, walk in that room and remove that body when there are all of these family members there. You don't want to do it. It's going to be, it's going to make you feel awkward or something, no matter how used to it. Right, right. Yeah. It's very similar to that, you know, Uh, you know, preparing yourself, doing what you have to do and, and go out. I mean, and that's what makes this show so great because it's not just a sex scene. There's like explanation as to like what's actually going on right. she's like no it's not going to happen mm-hmm. and and you know so it's 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 more than just that and that's that's lucky for them cuz they can you know like there's a purpose to it it's not just all right you're waking up it's morning and you're having sex and you're you yeah. know you're smiling but there's more to it which they're lucky that they got that writing on that on that and that's show. a great thing about this show and it's it's you know watching this and when the, the the director had said it during the commentary is like every almost every single scene has double meaning going on what they're saying also yeah. plays to another level and 
you know, I, I tried, I watched this, this episode with my girlfriend who has never seen an episode of Six Feet Under and we were watching and I was, um. I was going to have to do some of, I knew, I knew watching it. I was going to have to do some of explaining like, who's this, who's that, whatever. Uh, I let it breathe for a minute. I, I had explained to her, you know, the beginning, someone dies and you know, that's why we kind of left mm-hmm. when she starts convulsing on the floor. I let it breathe for a little bit cause I just wanted to see at to what point would I have to explain and you know, what I found really funny is with this intro scene with Brenda and Nate, like th- this scene, if you had never watched Six Feet Under, this was your first time going into it. The this- scene sort of encapsulates, you know, what their relationship has been. Because, you know, like Nate's just yeah. there just trying and trying and Brenda's like, you know, stop, it's not working. It's such like a, it's, that's, that's all you need as a season recap for their relationship, you know? Yeah, that's true. You know, and, and. And you know it's it's worked before, right? Right. So it's not like this is a major this is not thing. A, it's like all yeah. right, it's a bump. They didn't meet last night. You could tell this is like a, a yeah. relationship thus far, and you know, and and, and to, to to further it more, what what the scene doesn't tell us is that, well, it does tell us, but rather the backstory is that Brenda is rather depressed. If to go back to our season one, she had committed Billy to a mental institution and. It's just kind of weighing everything down in her life, including her sex life with her boyfriend, Nate. Uh, but yeah, it's just funny. Like, I just found that it's like, wow, this is such, you know, and I like these, uh, how do you do it? But the scene starts out, they're behind a glass window. And it's just like, you know, mm-hmm. their relationship is just so all over the place. But it's essentially this, Nate's trying, Nate's like, you know, let me in. And Brenda's just almost incapable of doing so, you know. Right, and she at least she lets him know and says, "Look, yeah, it's not going to happen. Let's go on with our day, yeah. you know." And um, which which is which is realistic in some right, right. I mean, not this fantasy mm-hmm. uh, that you see on other TV shows or, or movies. Yeah. They're at the funeral home. Brody is the boyfriend of Becky in this death capsule, and they're at the Fisher funeral home to make arrangements with the help of Rico's sister-in-law, Angelica. And Angelica. Angelica, right, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> and and you know, like Joe, you, you this is something I definitely I could only ask you here. Um, something I took away from the scene is that I didn't like the way they portrayed an actor. Uh, I mean, this guy was just completely out to lunch you know he, he's he, he's obviously there to to plan a funeral for his girlfriend but you know he's just going on about how becky hated dolphins and how much she loved thigh food you know they, they made him completely aloof you know even yeah. prior to her dying and again with the preface that she's there obviously he's there obviously to make arrangements for his girlfriend so maybe he would be out to lunch regardless but you know, we saw it in the death capsule where he's just kind of the two of them are just kind of out there. Uh, does that ever bother you? Just the way actors are portrayed in this sort of medium? Um, bother me not to the not like where I would feel like offended or or it's it's a false portrayal, mm-hmm. but because there are some there are people that are like that. that yeah, that that's true. Their whole lives, you know, whatever they're doing, they revolve revolves around them and their. I don't want to say their simple version of, but it's, it's like this is what you're focusing on. You're focusing on dolphins. Right. You're focusing on, as he mentioned, you know, showing more skin in that other mm-hmm. scene. You know, um, it bothers me that that there are a lot of people like that, right, and right. they, it would bother me if you think about it as 
they get the big break. Right. And it's like them, they get picked, they get hired, they're making all this money, they're, you know, getting these projects. Um, Because it kind of goes against that, uh, you know, like nice guys finish last Mm -hmm, type thing. mm -hmm. Um, But I think it was also part of, I saw a lot of like, uh, like, there's a difference between a New York actor and an LA actor. Yeah, that's true. And I saw a lot of that LA actor in them. Again, it's a bit stereotypical, but um, you know, he he almost had this like laid back, like yeah, I'm gonna do this and work on this and Becky, yeah, you know, kind of, you know, like just brushing off the 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 emotion of hey, she's dead, you know, and he's the next. He's the next of Ken, right? right? Or he's the next of like the closest, closest thing one. she had. Yeah. He's like, I guess she's my girlfriend, or <laughs> you know, like New York. It's kind of like a little bit more intense mm-hmm. and more serious mm-hmm. um, as as far as that goes. So I I noticed that as well. Um, I just felt bad for him. Yeah. Because like he doesn't even realize this girl died. This girl, you know, was did she even mean anything to you? You know, yeah. do you care about your career? <laughs> Are you going to do things to make it better? Are you going to be using drugs? Right. So there's a lot of like things like, no, you're just you're missing it. Mm-hmm. This guy, he, Brody, you're missing it. You're missing it. <laughs> um, I, I was almost anno- just annoyed by him. Right. Like, like this is what you're doing, and yeah, it was kind of disappointing. But you do see that with. With actors, it's like this is what you're. No, there are other ways. <laughs> you're not going to make money this way. You've got you got to work. You have to be realistic. Right, right. Um, you know, but that, that it's. It, I think it's fair rather than like an unfair portrayal. And, and you know, and, and maybe I should have also added is that I've been in the arrangement room a bunch of times, and you get people like this in there. They aren't actors. You know, you just get people. You know, they're so much more focused on something else and whatever that. So it's not it's not yeah. only to actors per se, but, you know, and just, you know, as we see at the funeral at the end, he's just singing that song and he's just he's on a different wavelength than the rest of us. But uh, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Uh, next scene, we see Claire at the beach and only because I've seen the series throughout as you have this beach here mm-hmm. that she's at with Gabe is... It is, it's the same beach where Nate goes at the end. And uh, right, and you don't see it that often. This beach. I don't remember seeing it like through. It's not like every episode where. No, oh, no. The, I, you almost forget. Yeah. You almost forget that they're near the water. I, and it, you know what? What just popped into my mind is that I think it's actually in the pilot as well. Because they're doing this thing where uh nate kind of dreams of uh, a story someone once told him about this italian funeral and i'm pretty sure it's all the same beach, oh, yeah. you know yeah where they're coming the sicilian women yes, and they're, yes. they're beating their chest like animals <laughs> he's like it's so much more primitive we should be like that and yeah 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 same. i remember that too. Uh, and all i'm saying is it's not a spoiler but this beach does play something rather large towards the series end but i just wanted to let people know i do acknowledge it is the same beach um but back to Claire, she's still worrying about Gabe and his problems. And you know what's great about Claire is Claire's words are always direct. You know, she's never she's never sentimental with what she's saying or, or indirect. You know, she has no filter. And, you, like, you sort of never have to worry about what Claire is, is feeling or thinking. You know, she's just she, she's yeah. raw, I guess is the best way I could describe it. She's, she's really worried about Gabe. And there's... 
no room for uh, confusion in her saying and doing so, you know? Right. And even if she tries to hide it by not saying it, her actions kind of <laughs> show it. Right. And, and he picks up right, on that of anyway. Uh, Nate is getting a CAT scan. And, you know, it's funny, sort of the same way our death capsule, you know, our death capsule ended with someone dying and it bleeds right into Nate and Brenda having sex. So there's sort of this, like, you know, sort of circle of life, you know, death. You know, while they're not having sex to, 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 to uh, man, what's the word? Not reciprocate. <laughs> Reprocreate? Procreate. You know, they're still yes. just, you know, the side of death and life. And, you know, we see him going in for the CAT scan. And then, you know, the voicing overlaps where it's, you know, the results are in. And we actually see it's David getting his test results for the STDs. Yeah, that was that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, they, oh, I have some results, the doctor. And it, it's, it's intentionally yeah. misleading, but it's done so in, in a funny way. Um at least on this end with the doctor, I'm assuming they're sort of tying up a a, a plot story from season one where David had because she mentions it. Have you had unprotected sex? And he says yes. And it's I'm assuming you know showing what we're showing on screen. It's the, from the, the prostitute in episode eleven when he's out in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> Ruth is reading some self help books and. I had to fish for the title because I just thought it was so, it's so Ruth to be reading a self-help book like this. Uh, the title of the book she's reading is Now That You Know, A Parent's Guide to Understanding Their Gay and Lesbian Children. <laughs> and I mean, uh, that's something I had to explain to my girlfriend while watching. You know, it's just like, how how out there is this woman? And it's like, she's actually really in there. She's actually really in tune with everything. Yeah. and. It's just it. she's she's trying to learn more embrace <laughs> it whereas in the first season when she first finds out it's a little bit more resistant so i was like all right and she's trying she's trying but as we see my episodes and it's like she's trying and it's so adorable but it's also in the worst way possible you know uh yeah. and like i like how she tries to engage claire in it you know it, it, it's almost like she's reading like a like a, a weight loss book you know, and it's oh, just yeah. following the instructions one by one. It says, I could only eat one piece and of bread. And she's reading in the kitchen. <laughs> Wherever she goes, she's reading that book. Whoever she encounters, hey, look at this right. that I'm reading. Even us, we get to see it, like the title. Now that you know, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I just liked how she had pegged it being such a problem for David. But, you know, as we kind of see, it's more of a problem on, on her. You know, she's she needs to sort of go through this and what she goes through the episode so that she can accept David being gay. And right. I, I, it's just, it's, it's, it's typical Ruth done in, you know, the best way possible of just trying to... And she doesn't want to be the reason for his unhappiness. Right, right. So she's kind of even, you could even say selfishly. Oh, absolutely, like absolutely. Saying, I'm doing all that I can... To support you, I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to talk to my daughter and see if maybe she's a lesbian and <laughs> yeah. I'm going to talk to her and, and we're going to have this dinner and everything's because I'm doing all that I can. David, do you have anything you want to tell? Right. Yeah, it's very. Yeah. It's selfish. That's the best way to put it. It's selfish yeah. while not knowing it's selfish. You know, it's. it's Yeah. So like, well, what else am I supposed to do? Right. right? right. It's that kind of. And, and that's. And we know people like that. Of course. You know, we encounter people like that at work or in families and yeah. stuff. It's great. I love it. <laughs> uh, David's on a date, and I had never got the guy's name, but obviously he calls him the guy in the red hat. Let me ask you, because this scene sort of ends, and 
this is like a, a typical six feet under stamp where the scene goes well, but kind of the bottom falls out or, or maybe even the opposite. The scene is bad, but something good happens at the end. Right. Do you think this date was going well? Because when he, if, 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 if I could just set it up, the scene ends and it's, you know, David's like, well, hopefully we can do this again sometime. And the guy's just so blunt. And he's like, nope. Like, you know, I just didn't feel anything. I'm out of here. Yeah. I mean, he was honest. It's not like he, you know, lied to him and says, oh, yeah, let's definitely do this well, again. That was and the other never... thing, too, is I've, I've <laughs> never, I've never, I'll tell you what, I've never, I've never experienced that where I've been on a date and someone's been so direct about, yeah, nope, this ain't going to happen again. And furthermore, I've never even heard of that happening on a first date just through friends and whatever. It's very efficient. <laughs> I mean, I, let, let me ask you, the world, I don't want to sound, I don't want to make it sound like dating rules the world, but the world would probably be a better place or better, more efficiently run if this happened more often, right? Where it's just like, right, yeah. you kind of get up and it's like, yep, nope, no thanks. And you know, you just kind of... Yeah, I, I, think, <laughs> I definitely agree with that because it would save us from a lot of like worrying and sleepless nights and all that stuff. And you can move on and all right, let's try another... Um, but the way the guy did all the talking from for the most part, David just kind of sat to, to the way I took it is David kind of sat in awe about how this guy was just going. Oh, about yeah, everything. He was, he was like the perfect uh, specimen mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. David. He is, you know, he believes in long term relationships. He's, he's very good at sex. He's his family support. He's he's got it all. So that that was and it's, you know, maybe too good to be true. And turned out it was. Yeah, I just I was sort of taken aback when he's like, "Yep, nope." More, more because I just thought, "Oh, this is someone David could get into," and it's just like, "Oh, yeah, it's definitely not this guy." This guy didn't feel anything at all. Where you could just see it on David's face, where he just felt it all. And yeah, it's just it's right. funny. Nate is at the doctor and getting his test results, and <laughs> and I think it's intentional that. You know, you're, we're not supposed to like this this doctor. He he has sort of a used car salesman deal. You know, just the way he's talking about Nate's life decisions. You know, but like I was just saying before, what Six Feet Under always does best, you know, delivering tragic news with sort of like, you know, this twist of comedy. The the cutaway to the chokeout scene where Dave is just in his head. Uh, Nate is just in his head <laughs> choking the shit out of this doctor. You know, but to completely juxtapose what we had said about Claire... This guy can't give Nate a straight answer. Uh, I imagine in right. the medical field, it's sort of impossible to do so. Like, I don't think there's any such thing as a guarantee. Yeah, especially when it comes to the brain. Yeah, especially I with what we're de- especially with what we're dealing with. I, I have to imagine it's impossible as a doctor who cares to give you a 100% guarantee on something. Right, and this is where I saw like a parallel to. Um, something such as like acting okay right? the, the the profession of acting there are no guarantees mm-hmm. there are, oh you get a call back for a role right. you go back and you there's no guarantees they what they're looking for one day could be completely different from what they're looking for the next mm-hmm, day mm-hmm. you know type can change uh the the project could get canceled because there's not enough money yeah. it's very frustrating and how do you plan your life how do you <laughs> think about the next day when you're not getting that straight answer it's it's frustrating and nate is one who you know he's gonna react he's not just gonna say okay well you tried your best and maybe another cat scan or whatever (laughs) he you know he basically tells the guy 
what does he say? Like, you're an idiot or something? And he walks out or you're... He's like, yeah, what I want is a fucking straight answer and you can't give that to me right now. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just go the rest of my life, you know, not do it, you know, caring or whatever. Uh, yeah. Th- that's funny. It's such a contrast because it's like... You know, he doesn't want to hear maybe or possibly right now. He wants, like, yeah, like you said, you want to know if you have, if you if you have the job, if if what's going to happen tomorrow. Nate has no idea what's going to happen tomorrow, and even so, further so, you know, if if he had never gotten into that accident, he would have never even known. Um, right. It's funny how the the two of that parallels. And yeah, and even like David gets bad news, then Nate gets bad news. <laughs> it was like one right after the right. other. And, you know, like and like I was saying, the Six Feet Under does humor so so well in this show. Because listen to what we're talking about. We're talking about Nate who could, you know, has death just kind of lurching over him. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just the irony it does because, you know, in, in most of our death capsules, there's there's that ironic twist. And here we have Nate and Nathaniel, well, Nathaniel showing up. And, you know... Nathaniel's telling Nate how he smoked, drank, and gambled his entire life, and he would have lived to 90 if he had never gotten hit by that bus. You know, Nate, on the other hand, runs three miles every day. He's supposed to be the healthy guy on the show, you know, fit in shape. And, you know, this 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 death is just sort of lurching over him. Something I always I, I heard it on a sports radio show, and it's something I always like to tell people is I don't. Maybe it's a it's a quote from somewhere. I'm not giving it proper credit, but it's 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 re, it's just smoke, drink, and gamble, and you'll never die. And that's kind of life, right? Because you kind of Sinatra's still alive. <laughs> Dean Martin's still alive. So you know, it, it's just funny. And, and this car is great. And it's funny, like Nathaniel's driving. So it's just yeah. It's just sort of like yeah, man. You should have done it like the way I did it. I smoked. You know, I died while smoking getting hit by a bus but i would have lived till god knows when if i yeah it's that it's that lack of control Mm -hmm. the dead father's driving (laughs) this this thing in his brain is he has no control right right. but yet you have this girl this actress who has control over you know what she puts into her body Mm -hmm. to some respect and just you know she knows what she has to do to live but she doesn't and yet here he is nate trying his best and he's just got no control and that's frustrating it's frustrating to watch you know <laughs> yeah uh the first dinner scene and i wanted to get into uh i want to talk about like sort of the anatomy of a dinner scene but i want to do that with i love it <laughs> i, I want to talk about the <laughs> second one <laughs> uh, let's talk about the second one when we get there but this first one where it's just the fishers you know this is where we have ruth go feeding off her self-help book and she just starts revealing who she's having sex with and uh-huh. She's inviting. She's not inviting their significant others. She's specifically inviting who you're having sex with. Yeah, whoever <laughs> you're having sex with, we have a right to know. I have a right to know. We're all adults here. I don't. E- I don't even think we need to discuss of how incredibly awkward it would be if your parent or your guardian, whoever it is, you just want to discuss who you're having sex with. Uh, yeah, and, and reveal <laughs> who she is. Right, right. Like, yeah, I don't want to hear that mom or anything, you know. I, I love the the irony here when Nate takes the aspirin and this aspirin's still kind of left over from episode nine of season one. But, you know, he's, he he's goes to take, take an aspirin and it's we find out it's ecstasy. But what's great is how, you know, Nate Nate's talking about how this makes your blood thinner. And D- David ah. just has an off-the-cuff 
short joke that not meant to do anything right where it's just like if our blood was any thinner we'd evaporate it's just amazing writing where ruth gets so offended and she's not even understanding what david means (laughs) yeah well he's just killing her she's trying to be supportive of her son and her family and open and 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 accepting and he just has to, you know, Debbie Downer. But it's it. If it was any <laughs> any thinner, we'd evaporate. But I just know? love how offended she gets, proving the thin blood. <laughs> what's funny is she's like, "Well, what does that even mean?" But she's it could have been a compliment for all she knows. But just the way mm-hmm. you know, David, David, you know, addressed it. Whatever. I just I love it. It's this is one of two dinner scenes, but I just love the way, uh, you know, just that quick little thing had gone. A quick scene, and I, I this is here where I wanted to get into the funeral side of it. Uh, Rico and Nate are moving Becky over from the stretcher into a cardboard box. Just sort of like a, a, a PSA of sorts. In terms of cremation, when you want to be... Well, let me say this. In order to be cremated in most states, I can't speak uh, on behalf of all of them, but in most, you actually have to be in a container to be cremated. Uh, the lowest one in terms of quality and usually price is a literal cardboard box. The same as you get your UPS package. Yeah, it's the same thing, but the 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 the, the only difference it, it's the same thing in terms of quality, right? But it's sort of like pre-folded, so it could be made into uh, a more rectangle, rigid box of sorts, but. Just this is just sort of like a PSA on that, like you know, when you're going out there for the cheapest option, this is it. Like you're going into that cardboard box. Rico states how it's pathetic. She threw her life away, and she didn't think more of her life than this cardboard box. But you know, me personally speaking, as someone who deals with this, right, I had never seen anything wrong with someone being cremated in this. You know, it just sort of like how you know the the casket that you're in does it signify your quality of life or meaning. Each person has their own beliefs, right? I imagine right now if there's other funeral directors listening to me say that, they probably hate that I'm saying that because, you know, we're supposed to promote and push, you know, whatever, our caskets that we, you know, sell and whatnot. Yeah, it's it's usual. Right. Most people, you expect to see a casket. I've never had a problem with someone being cremated in a cardboard box. You know, everyone has their different values and beliefs. Uh, Something I want to start doing on each episode, and I'm just going to throw this at you, how do you want to go? Are you cremated? Are you being buried? What's your... Now, you have knowledge in the business, so you sort of have like a different angle or take on it than, let's just to say, you know, the general public, whatnot. Um, have you ever thought as far as like, you know... Oh, I guess, you know what? Everyone has thought. What, what, of course. What, how, do you, how, how, would you, how do you envision it? Uh, I used to say cremate and then bury the ashes. Okay. But why go through all that? Just Just bury me. I I um I don't like the uh you know mausoleum or or vault or uh-huh. above ground uh, um because I think of like in terms of permanence like in two hundred years are the are those still going to be standing there there could be a, an earthquake or a typhoon or mm-hmm. tsunami mm-hmm. and everything's gone just bury me and that's it traditional uh, is fine with me I used to say oh no the bugs and the you know the <laughs> dirt but no. Uh, yeah. bury, burial's fine yeah and in a cemetery that is um above water level preferably ah yeah that's a good point <laughs> if possible <laughs> <laughs> not that it, again it's like not that it matters right 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 but even and even thinking with like the girl on the episode 
uh, you know, they cremated her, and and I think was that, that was ahead of its time. The idea of the the little um, no the uh, the cremains that were placed in those little uh, necklaces. Oh, uh, oh, like a keepsake of sorts. I know what you're talking keepsake, about. Yeah. yeah, like that. That seemed like that was not uh, like very popular back then, or maybe it was more like a California thing. Or something. I had read. Re- I had. I had gone. I tried to do like my research and just trying to pick up. I try to pick up like the the vibe of it from 2002, and you know, there's not a lot of you know, articles or websites from that time. But uh, I had picked up on one where it was fairly new. The idea of, well, I, I'm speaking more on the dolphins thing where the cre- the cremator remains are inside yeah. the dolphins. But the sort of keepsake thing, it wasn't as, as prominent just because cremation simply wasn't as prominent, you know? Um, right, right. You know what, too? Something I just, just, I just thought of at the top of my head. And just to inform people on this, they have this thing, too, along with, you know, they could do anything with cremated remains now. They're they're in these like kind of furniture, uh, like light orbs that could use as like a lamp. They have like this thing with the dolphins. They could they, man, what's the word? Some kind of glass metal they make with it. Uh, they also have this thing. It's kind of funny. They call it thumbies, and what they do is they take uh, an ink print of the deceased thumb, and then they 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 imprint it on like this gold medallion. And you kind of just wear it around your neck. And, you know, you sort of have that person thumbprint. It's just sort of different ways to memorialize, you know, your loved one, yeah. whatever. There's a whole bunch of options. There's stuff out there that I don't even know of. And when I hear about it, I'm like, oh, wow. You know, I've never even thought you could, about You it. could also do what Brody and the other you people after the funeral <laughs> were doing. And, and that's, you know, <laughs> definitely stays with you for a little bit. We'll get into that because I definitely I have some thoughts on that. <laughs> uh, David goes out for some breakfast with Keita and his boyfriend, Eddie, after church. And, you know, just watching David, it, it's sad because they're there just talking about their going hang gliding and whatnot. And David, David had just has this cutaway. It's probably the best cutaway of the series thus far. Where now help me out because I I, I I didn't know exactly how to like interpret it, but I knew it was funny and I knew it was like sort of sad watching it. Is race a factor here when David goes to his cutaway? I mean, you know what? That's a stupid question. I guess rather help me interpret it where because they, they, they the cutaway is they're at a pageant of sorts and it's all black men, right? Where Eddie has like Mr. EMT and Keith is Mr. Uh, cop, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> this sounds so funny even coming out of my mouth. And David is naked on stage, and his banner see his banner reads, "Mr. White Ass Cracker." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's something that he cannot change. Okay. And no matter how you know skilled he is at hang gliding, and and he can be whatever job, whatever, but he cannot change the fact that he is a white ass cracker. <laughs> and. You know, and maybe he sees that as, as far as what Keith sees, you know, maybe Keith prefers to be with a black right, man. Right, right. And, you know, you, you can't, you can't change that. Maybe this is David's recognition of, of that, whether it's true or not, I don't know. But, um, yeah, and it was kind of like, no matter how hard you try, you're up on that pageant stage. You're always going to be white, right. You're not going to win <laughs> because you're... You know, all those beauty pageants there, right. you know, they shine lights on you, they parade you around. And the fact that he was naked is even more like, 
you know, degrading. Right, right. And he wasn't just white. He was like <laughs> milk right out of the carton, you know, not even – didn't even have time to start to go bad or anything, that milk. It's like pure white. Um that's funny. You know, and in his face, he, he was mortified. Yeah, he's everyone else. Everyone else is on the everyone else is on the stage, and they're sort of puffing out their chest, and they're sitting there, and you know, they're all in suits and whatever. And he's just there, sort of exactly what you would do if I just all of a sudden made you naked in the middle of public. You would just sort of put your hands over your crotch and just sort of, oh no. And he's like, yeah. yeah. But yet you choose to stay up there. Right. right. You don't run away, right. <laughs> which you could do. But he's he's up there. He's still in it. That's funny. Um, and good for him. Good for David. <laughs> so to one of our finest scenes and Six Feet Under has done the dinner scene with Nikolai. Lord of mercy. <laughs> Lord of mercy. Are you pounding your chest? Lord of mercy. Yes, I am. Root and beautiful. It, I, I love the character that because of just the things that he says. And he's he's not a bad guy. He's very he tries to bring people together. But it's it's. <laughs> It's. I think he's just like the complete opposite of Ruth in every right, way. Right, and you know that's 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 what something does so great because we have this wide this wide cast of characters, right? And what Six Feet Under does great is that when all these worlds collide or or the characters collide, it, it it's it's just the height of awkwardness. Now, take us back to the beginning of the episode. We were talking, you know, you were talking about how it's a show about a family. And now here's the family together in, in all its glory and even their significant others or, you know, people they're having sex with. People they're having right, sex with, yeah. And it's incredibly awkward, you know, just the way they say hi to each other. Uh-huh. But, you know, if I could draw back just a bit, my favorite, my favorite shot of the episode is when David's sitting in that chair and there's that lamp that sits over him. And it's, it's, it's obviously in, intentionally meant to be like a halo that's you know parked right above him i just love you know you juxtapose that to him being you know this frayed you know white ass cracker uh, just the way that it, it's just brilliant uh how do you call that scene setting where he has that you know halo light above him who's halo is that because he thinks he deserves the halo or is it because you know the world is like a pity on him that's that's an interesting image to think about i took i took it as like it was like a fake halo where he was just like that's as close as he'll get to being like angelic is if you have to take a literal lamp and place it over you otherwise because david's still it's not done so much in this episode but david's still a uh coping with coming out of being gay obviously this whole entire dinner scene is is for that but i took it as that's like the closest he'll get to being uh, uh, divine, angelic is if he had a literal lamp shaped as a halo over him. You know, it's as close as he'll ever yeah. get. And I think he needs that yeah, though, like yeah, to validate, because yeah. he believes, like, yeah, I'm a good person, and I'm, you know, better than my brother, and better than my sister, and better than my mother. Yeah. You know, higher above them <laughs> at this point. And, you know, like again, just going back to the, the the awkwardness of everything. You know, the conversations they're having is like pulling teeth. Um, with the preface of Nate being absolutely high in ecstasy, the Nikolai blessing of the food with this long drawn out prayer. I mean, <laughs> awkward, but also beautiful, right? Yeah, sobering. 
You know, just like how you started out, you know, Nikolai going, Lord have mercy, while pounding his chest, everyone thinking he's right. done. Just when they think it's over, yes. I noticed on my second watching that where they have everyone sitting, uh, a previous guest of mine had brought up that everything in this show is intentional, right? So if, yeah. if I took a – I just noticed it just sort of how the camera pans uh, when it starts and it's David sitting across from Nate, Brenda across from Gabe, and Claire sitting across from Ruth. And – if we take Brenda and Gabe out of it, just because they're not Fishers, it's it's who it's who the two characters are most closely associated, right? Because we've rarely gotten a Claire and David scene. You know, we have a few Claire and Nate, but rather Claire and Ruth are the two closest family members, and you know, David and Nate is they're they're the brothers. They're the one who share the "I love you" scenes and whatnot. But you put uh, Brenda and Gabe back into it, it's sort of like you know, uh, you know, Fishers versus outsiders, and there's nothing controversial or anything that going on but it's just interesting to see where they anyone could have sat anywhere right um but they specifically placed you know fishers across from fishers nate being high it's something i've said before on the show that six feet under i've never done ecstasy right but this wasn't out of realm for me to believe that this is how someone would act when they're high uh just the way they portray it and it wasn't over the top immediately he i think the first indication is he comes in and everyone's sitting around in the on the couches and he says look who's here (laughs) and at first you're thinking like is he just like making joke of the whole like dinner that's about to happen right right and and maybe to cheer brenda up or something like it's within his his character but then when you know he's pouring the wine and it's like okay this is escalating and you don't, you know, put the pieces together necessarily that it's ecstasy, even, you know, you might. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I, as someone who has watched the series and I don't remember these early seasons as much as I do the later ones, but yeah, what, what, when we first see him, I, it, I just figured that it was Nate being Nate where it's like, this is great, isn't it? You know, through your teeth. Yeah. And he's, you got Brenda out of the right. house, you know, that. It, it, you know what, it's not till you see him sweating profusely at the dinners when you're like oh, yeah yes but uh to go back to something and that i want to bring up is that you know six feet under does a few more of these dinner scenes but i feel like dinner scenes are hard to do because you're rather limited you know you can't there's not a physical movement by the characters i guess at least from the, the it's only from the waist up yeah you rely on the, the dialogue yeah they just they, they they nail it they nail it i mean i brought it up and we 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 both agree that this is you know the, the greatest scene in the series thus far is just uh just your typical dinner scene but it's just done so well and it's it's over the top but yet it's realistic right right the fact that like nikolai's going on and on with this prayer <laughs> but they're all they're all like going along with it they're like oh the guy's praying you know right, let's right you know, we're not going to say enough already. We're not going to say enough. We heard stop, dude, enough, right? They they go along with it. They show the respect. Um, be, that makes it real. That makes it like how would you react in that situation? Yeah, and you right? know what's funny too? Uh, like Nikolai does his whole prayer, and everyone's sort of laughing. Where it's just like I can't believe this guy's doing this. But Ruth, her face at least uh, uh, a <laughs> to me that she kind of liked it. Like, she actually really did believe that this yeah. was actually really nice. Um, we find it awkward because we're sitting there. I don't know if you do family blessing before you eat your food like that. I'm someone who, even when my family does do it, it is incredibly awkward for me. I don't know why. Uh, but if I was in this position like this, I, I wouldn't know what to do. But 
Yeah, I guess I would do what they do, where I'm just... I'm you know what? Them. If he's comfortable enough to express and lead the prayer, this is a great thing. <laughs> it's it's maybe the step of, you know, he's sitting at the head of the table. Uh-huh. He, maybe he could be a future husband right, right. and father to the children. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he could be, you know, um, Brenda's sexual partner <laughs> or... or who knows? Anything goes, you know. And again, that's like that—that that, not to be stereotypical. That California mentality of, you know, laid back, take it as it comes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, you you see that, and it's it. I love it how the show brings out someone is having the absolute worst day ever. David, it's just horrible. Mm-hmm, it's what mm-hmm. you got gonorrhea. <laughs> the guy doesn't like you. This, that, the other thing. And then there's Ruth that's just doing so great and so comfortable and, you know, engaging in conversation with people and inviting. And they do that so well Uh where one person is great. Yeah. The other one is horrible. Uh And they put them in a room together and it's just funny. Yeah. Yeah. They do dark humor so well. I mean, even after dinner, right, where Nate's just sort of putting on a show to David and Brenda. You know, again, I'm I'm repeating myself. I just think the way they portray someone high is so great. Uh, you know, David's uncomfortability next to Brenda's comfortability. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, even just the way, and it, it's Nate being Nate high, right? Uh, more liberating than he than he is normally. You know how we taught David how to masturbate. That is. Something that probably would have never, ever been discussed, right? But I guess because you're high on drugs and everything. And just the way Nate's sort of feeling like his brain motions, right? Because he's like, you know, you kind of feel it out. You flush it out. And he's just talking about everything coming from the head. It's just great. It's not over the... It's like you said. It's not over the top. I actually... And may, maybe maybe it's a bias against... The, a bias towards the show. But I completely buy Nate being high on ecstasy. Hoping and knowing yeah, it's fake, definitely. I just I, I believe it so well. But I just like the way you know they're both on the couch and, and David doesn't know what to do with himself, and Brenda's looking as bored as possibly can be, just playing with the yeah. strings. And the question, David, why is he still there yeah. in the room? He could get up and leave. He could go up to his room. Right. It's right. it's that same thing. But you know what? There's nowhere else for him to go. Right. There's right. no other guy for him to pursue. Yeah. There's yeah. there's it's it's and you see this this spiral that David gets kind of caught up in and it, it sucks because David is much more fun to watch when things are going well mm-hmm. he's funnier he's he's uh, you know he's more sarcastic with people he's he's just better but when he's not doing well when he's sad or depressed yeah it, it's kind of like a drag like because then he takes it out on other people right, right. but just but that's him he's miserable. <laughs> This trippy scene, or rather Nate tripping, leads us to, I want to say, the second trippiest scene in the series thus far. Nate goes Uh. into, I mean, well, for starters, it's how we get the title of our episode, right, in the game. Is he entering the game of life and death here? I don't know how, it's a dream sequence, it's a cutaway, I don't even know how to categorize it. Uh, Let me say this, for a TV series that's out there, this scene was out there. <laughs> like this was out there. Like, like when you said this was the first episode your girlfriend watched. I mean, yeah, by this point. Know, <laughs> I 
I mean, we laugh. Was that Miss Cleo there? <laughs> yeah, that's and... exactly where my mind went. We, we laugh. I'll tell you what. By by the episodes, and I realized we had laughed more than we had done almost anything else we've ever watched because <laughs> it was just so amazing. Where Nate goes in there, and you know, uh, life starts to have sex with death and all of oh. this, right? But l- l- let me let me yeah. help me out here because you know, it's so random. It, it, I love so it. random, but like. You know what? Let me start here because you had brought it up in the beginning of the episode of, of, of watching Sopranos. Everyone has an idea of what happens when they die, right? And you, you end up going, however it is you think that happens, you go up. I know exactly how it's going to happen. <laughs> but you have this idea of, you know, whether it be, you know, you get to the pearly gates, right? Or you see a loved one who died or whatever, right? I, it's crazy. I had always envisioned, if, if you're a Sopranos fan, uh, I'm, I won't give too much away, and Joey, if you know what I'm talking about, there's a scene where Tony Soprano almost dies, and when he gets to like this house, it's sort of him being that close to death, right? Um, yeah. This isn't Nate dying, so I'm kind of going off on my own tangent, but I feel like this is the one of the closest I'll get to, to talking about that Soprano scene. It's crazy. I had only watched Sopranos about a year ago. It's my first time I ever did my full watching. When that scene happened... It's in season, the beginning of season six, I believe, the first part of season six. That's how I yeah. always had envisioned how death was. Like, you're in a suit, there's this party in a house going on, it's this beautiful it's setting. Happening. Right, there's this beautiful yeah. setting of like trees with all these pretty lights and everything. I had always envisioned death like that, where, and it's just like someone's like welcoming you, someone so random is just welcoming you in to death and whatever. We've been waiting for yes. you, Mr. <laughs> Soprano. Yeah. Uh, I've never had this sort of, um, you know, this isn't Nate almost dying, but it's, it's like I said, l- help me out, or l- what do you think? What is this? Is this, is this simply, is this simply Nate is now in the game, kind of like how Nathaniel says, this is his kickoff to being in the game is just the start of death like i don't know how did you categorize it yeah like it's i think it's out of fear really Uh um because you have that relationship between life and death the two people there the characters playing chinese checkers i'm not that familiar with how chinese checkers works i don't know if it has to do with skill or if it's kind of like luck i I don't remember Uh i haven't uh played it since i was like seven but He's he's in the game, you know, and you got a choice. You can either play it or you can, you know, sit back and watch right. it. You could try to manipulate to see, you know, are you going to be active? Are you going to be passive? He's he's in the game. And Nate, I think, takes it, you know, his character, his personality would be to, you know what? If this is what it's going to be. Then we're going to go after it all the way. You know, if there's going to be surgery, all right, then we're going to get the surgery. Yeah. If it's going to be treatment, we're going to get, you know – um, I, th- I think he has to make that that decision because he has to always be driven somewhere. Right, right. He can't just be. He likes to be, you know, to go on runs. Right. He just goes anywhere. His life, he picks up, he moves. But he has to have some kind of. He reminds me of my brother a little bit, actually. <laughs> where he's always got to be heading somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, specific, and it may change drastically from one day to another. Yeah. Um. And I think this dream was just like, you know, confirmation of that. Like the father saying like, yeah, it's a game. Yeah, it's I like a that. casino game. And you're, you've got chance. You've got luck. <laughs> the thing is, we're all in this game, right? Because we don't know when we're going to die yeah, or how yeah. it's going to happen. 
But Nate has maybe it's an advantage, maybe it's not. Nate knows he's in the game. That's a great point. Right? He knows yeah. that this is something that you know it could be sooner, it could be later. This could this is this is the thing that could be the thing that ends his, my life, mm-hmm, right? Because mm-hmm. we think about it all the time, like, oh, I could get hit by a bus, it could be cancer, it could be heart attack, I could, you know, get, get murdered in a, on a plane or something. I right. don't know. However, you think about it. But for him, it's like, all right, this is what it's going to be. So I want to have something to do with it. Am I going to live longer? Am I going to do more? Am I going to be healthier? Um, I think it's like recognition of that. Like he kind of knows. Now it's for real. Like, that yeah, it's, yeah. It's real. Yeah. That it is definite. It's not as abstract as, oh, we all die. It's... And when I die, I want to be this. Like, no, he's now thinking of, you know, it's coming yeah. and 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 this is how it's how it's going to be yeah. and then like i'm i don't remember do does anyone else know about his at this point no at this point no he's the only one who knows he hasn't told anyone yeah what who, who he tells will you know that'll be panned out in later episodes but but where we yeah. are at this point no one knows except for nate and and it's that that's a heavy burden oh, also course, yeah. the fact that this is like keeping a secret anything is is heavy and and you know like his father knows right his <laughs> right, father right. but his father is saying all right well this is how it is buddy boy yeah. and you're you're playing the game and it's great because the father you would think like anyone's father if he were to tell his father it was alive you know and said to his father oh i have this condition father be like oh I'm, I'm so sorry what can i do i you know let's help you whatever <laughs> but but his father is just like oh you know light a cigarette yeah, and, better get in there buddy boy yeah meet my friend life <laughs> meet my friend death uh <laughs> you know during it i liked you know th- these are the literal interpretations of life and death right there's two things about this you know obviously it's all great dialogue and we don't have to comb over every single detail right but I liked when life says, you know, death, uh, you're a show off that always turns me on. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's sort of like, that's such a great, that, that that's such great writing where it's like, yeah, if you have like a cr- close encounter with death, death is showing off and l- your life yeah. sort of gets turned on, right? You appreciate, you know, you, whatever, you, the, the food tastes How better, does every right? episode begin? Right, right, right. Every episode of this series begins with death showing off. Death showing yeah. off. And then there's life that pre- that proceeds, and life tries to, you know, with their storylines and their, you know, dinners, and um, sometimes it doesn't match up. Right, right. Sometimes death, you know, when it's the death of someone that that they know, like their father, mm-hmm. um, you know, death kind of dictates life. Yeah, yeah. In a way, of course. And it's, you know, some people more than others. <laughs> and l- l- let me ask you something too. And this is me. Maybe reaching, but maybe you had something on it. Did you buy, and again, this show really doesn't do race too much, but did you buy into anything with death being white and life being black, or was that just happenstance? There's nothing really there. I thought it was just like the contradiction of like opposite, like death was a man, life was a woman, Mm -hmm. um, death was... Um, like well dressed in a suit, right. life. What, what was she wearing? She had like a turban on her she head. Had a turban and, she... and probably just like this free flowing dress. And she had a. Uh, he was drinking a whiskey neat, 
let's just say, and she was kind of drinking this fruity island drink. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. I, I thought it was just like, just opposite. I mean, it, it could have been, I mean, there's many ways to have to show contrast, yeah. but, um, I didn't think it was almost, it was almost to say like, you know, like black women have more fun, you know, they're more lively <laughs> right, than, right. Than, than older white yeah, men and, you know, and how she, you know, literally straddled death <laughs> and was like, all right, you know, yeah, you're um, I, 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 I like that. I thought there was, there was humor. I much, I much more appreciated life, her, um, than, than death. And maybe that was intentional. Maybe you're supposed to embrace life more than death and especially how at the end of that scene um you know his eyes his voice become this monster um thing but you know it's like you laugh but it's an uncomfortable laughter Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know and it it really is life can be like that. life can do like what are you doing (laughs) why why are you getting up stay there what you know, why are you drinking? You know, why are you getting on his lap? Yeah. Why are you letting him do this? You know, and and life life does yeah, that. Yeah. And for Nate, uh, you know, maybe because he was high, maybe because he was drunk or whatever, fell asleep. But I, I mean, at first, I'm like, why do they have to have this scene? It's so unrealistic. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. Just just you know, stick with the real stuff. Yeah. But then you think about it afterwards. Yeah, it, it, it's it's it flows right with the rest of Six Feet Under. And, and, yeah, and you have dreams. Yeah, like that. yeah. You're like, what the and your and dreams dream? are as random as that, where you walk in and you're whoever, right? Whoever who had died is sitting there, and yeah, it's yeah, two people, and they're playing something as random as Chinese checkers, right? Like, yeah. Now you said that Alan Ball had written yes. this episode. Yes, he seems to write the, the, the premiere and finale of each season. But yeah, he wrote this episode. Oh, okay. yeah. There's a lot of those, like, you know, dream sequences and like these out of body. Like even in, in that movie with uh, Kevin Spacey that he did. American Beauty. American Absolutely. Beauty. There, there was a lot of that. I think we see that like with his, that's part of his style. I haven't seen anything. He also had that other show, right? True Blood. Yeah, yeah, not I as much. I've never seen not it. Not like this. Yeah, it's, it's definitely yeah. in a different vein than this. I think that's like part of his his motif of his, sorts. His yeah. thing, yeah. And what's funny, also, as I, as I brought up in the beginning of the episode, that Six Feet Under always dates itself. Uh, when Nate wakes up from this dream, he's riding on a TV guide. I know we're the same age, so I know you know what TV guides were. I noticed that when um, <laughs> when it was on the coffee table. Yeah, and it just I remember getting those. Now I believe I stopped getting them to my house way before. I mean, I don't even know if TV guides still exist. I know before. I guess digital cable is right. I know they made them bigger. They weren't small like that. Oh, they, they actually became more like magazine, magazine size. Yes, there you go. I remember that now. I don't know mm, if they're still. Yeah, there. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's this show always there's always something in an episode, as timeless as the show is, there's always something in an episode where it's like, ah, yep, there it is. There there's two thousand two staring at you. Yeah. And if you forget it in the beginning of the episode, they give you the death date. Yeah, yeah. That this too. one was two thousand one. <laughs> and and I was I was saying that was before everything. That was before Facebook, YouTube, um, any type of like social media. Yeah. iPhones, um, tablets. It, it 
that was before what consumes our lives like 90% of the time now <laughs> yeah. wasn't around then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yet again, the relatability, you still relate to that stuff. You still watch the show. It's not, I wouldn't call it dated, right? Oh, he's got a flip phone. It, it, it's, you know? it, it's dated in, in the terms of, because you know what? There, there was an episode last season where uh, Nate and Brenda go to get pictures developed. And it's like, wow! Yeah. Remember going to get remember t- remember going out right. on a night with your disposable camera, and taking a picture and having no idea what it looks like until a few days later. So it, mm-hmm. it, it's just dated in the terms of. And listen, it's the same way that all these shows use texting on an iPhone. In twenty, you know, in, in fifteen years, I'm sure we're gonna look True. back on that and be like, maybe not texting, right? Or whatever, whatever the case yeah. is. Uh, you know, however, however, today we look at today, and we we're sitting here like, man, look how advanced today is. I'm sure in 2002 they were like, you know, these kids with their disposable cameras, and you know, whatever the case is, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess it's taking a new element of his of being historical. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, to move on to Becky's funeral. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, first, I want to say I like the brotherly love, uh, you know, because at first Nate is a little ticked off at David that he took the aspirin, and you know David tells him where he got it from, but you know he just really wants to find out if he could get some more. Yeah, uh-huh. that's the punchline. Yeah, yep. Brody sings this song, and you know what I what I paralleled with this in this episode was the awkwardness of him singing that song and sort of people are laughing. It's kind of like how Nikolai, right, was doing his prayer and that right. person is so in, so intense on what they're doing. And there was one woman in the front row, I think, that was, like, she was into it. She yeah, was, yeah. You know, that's kind of like how Ruth was into the prayer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Claire finds Gabe downstairs in the embalming room and... It, this is not a spoiler, but just keep that in mind because that is something that plays into it. It's not just a throwaway scene. Uh, but a uh, quick funeral director note I wanted to add. Claire, in her Claire way, speaks about a, a plug or a screw that we stick into orifices so stuff won't leak out. Um, Joey, I'm sure you know this. That's just simply a trocar button. Uh, the best way I could describe it is it's a button you insert. The best way, uh, you know what? If you Google search it, you'll know what I'm talking about. She makes it sound rather gruesome, like it's this whole big thing. It's something, you know, a little bit bigger than a dime <laughs> that you just insert. I always just like to, you yeah, know, it's not just, as medieval as, as she right, made it right. Sound. It's it's this little white button, you know. But we still we see here that Gabe is still obviously hurt. Uh, I couldn't imagine why. Maybe it's just their age showing, right? Why going to a funeral? Uh, so close to his brother's death, especially in the same funeral home. But, you know, obviously we see it has an adverse effect on Gabe. Uh, to go back to what you were talking about earlier, Brody and his friends are snorting Becky's ashes. Uh, in my 10 years as a funeral director, I have never seen or heard anyone, right, snorting ashes. And really quick, just to, to stick with the show, you know, we see Claire just sort of projecting her anger problems towards Gabe onto this group. Does the idea at all entice you of snorting someone's ashes? Oh, uh, well. Wow, so you so this is a maybe. Uh, no, no. Okay, okay. Just the, no. just the way just the way you started, I was like, oh man, this is someone who would do that. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Um I, I I don't think no, I just I don't I don't even I didn't know it was I mean, a you thing. You think about it cuz it's powder. It's powder, right? 
and and yeah. you're just like, oh, what are we gonna? Do? I don't know. Why don't we snort it? Like you can't. Like some people might say, like, oh, let's smoke it. I understand smoking it. Well, let me say this. Let me say this too. Let me explain to people if you've never like been sprinkling in, it on on your you on know, your pot or whatever, right? Well, let me say this: potato. snorting it would hurt because uh, trying to describe what cremated remains are, it's not as simple as powder. It's not yeah, like it's not, as it's not like. Yeah, it's not like sugar. It's not like a actual powder or like flour. I imagine people think it's like flour, just how that's fine it is. And it's like sand, but it, to describe it even further, it's like crushed seashells. It's the best way I could describe the cremated remains you get back. Um, I can't imagine that goes down easy. I guess you could fine tune it and and powder, you know, pound it down more to get more of a fine result. But regardless. I have never heard of anyone sniffing whoever's ashes. And furthermore, I just to make to, just to make it sound like I don't want to make it. I mean, that's not an actor thing. That's not an actor. <laughs> thing. So that's not that's not a typical cue from an actor. That just all yeah. these actors just go around sniffing. Maybe directors. Maybe directors. <laughs> but not, not a, that, was a little, that was a little, you know, right? <laughs> inaccurate. Um, but yeah, that's, that's something I've never heard of. I, you know, it's funny though, and maybe this is, maybe I'm just being, uh, contradictory here, but if they were smoking it, I don't think I would have had anywhere as close to a problem with it as I do snorting it. Uh, maybe cause it's just more direct, right? Like snorting it yeah. is so, is so, uh, physical, you know, it's right there in front of you. It's, it's even the, the sound that goes with it. It's right. It's a little bit more vulgar. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's more visceral snorting. It. You know the idea of snorting. It's almost like like a pig <laughs> snorts. You know, but smoking. You know. Yeah, it's much more mm-hmm. earthy. <laughs> and to close out our episode, Nate and Brenda are on the beach, and he gets a phone call from David, and you know we see Nate's or a part of Nate's character come full circle. You know, the pilot of season one, he wants nothing to do with the funeral business, running away. And premiere season two, he's now a licensed funeral director, you know, right up there with David. Um, now, why is David opening Nate's mail? Well, you know... You know, that's a little... <laughs> well, no, he actually know? had seen it on a website, because he says, you know, he's looking right here at a website. But regardless, uh-huh. yeah, why are you? <laughs> yeah. You know, but I like guess David, I guess David's Mr. Ethics and Rules. <laughs> but uh, to Nate and Brenda, listen, there's no spoiler here in me saying that this couple breaks apart because uh, a TV show or rather a storyline, right, cannot have this continuous tumultuous relationship and it never break apart, right? Um, and I think here at the end of the episode is the and start. Brenda becomes a nun, which was really surprising. <laughs> yes. She goes into the ministry and right. That's a minor spoiler there. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, I think this here in the episode, not remembering exactly what happens to their, to their, to their uh, characters, I think it's the start of their breakup because, you know, Nate's been trying to reach out to her this entire episode and... Brenda's just so wrapped in her own depression and whatever. Uh, in a relationship, you know, you're supposed to lean on one on one another. And <laughs> it's funny, Brenda flat out just tells Nate, there's nothing you can do to fix it. You know, he can't even be supportive of it, of her, you know. Um, so I just think that's really the start of the downfall 
of their relationship. But Nate sitting here with, you know, the AVM sitting on his mind, uh, both literal and physical, right? Because he's just sitting there uh-huh. thinking about it while it's actually there. Uh, we get that cutaway here. He just jumps into the water, clothes and all. Um, you know, just sort of let, let let the water take my body away, right? Like, let me let me be one with the earth or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that was that was almost like it's something that everyone wishes they could do. Just, you know, want to run in the water with all your clothes on and the waves and just the sun. It's just uh, uh, like instinctual. It, it, yeah, return me to the sea. It's just, mm-hmm. uh, it's a cutaway, but, and again, it just, and Nathaniel is here and he just lets Nate know, just like we were talking before, uh, you know, you're in the game now. You know whether whether you want to or not, you're now in the game. He's more in the game than me, me and you are, right? Because like you said before, yes. me or you, we could die tomorrow. We could die right now, recording this podcast. Mm-hmm. But Nate knows now. Nate knows he has. This is what it's going to be, right? Um, and the road is very uncertain, <laughs> just like the life of an actor and that <laughs> that girl and her flailing along on the floor. And, Right, right. So, yeah, that kind of just closes out our episode. Is there anything else you wanted to add to it or anything I glossed over? Because there there was a few scenes. When I try to do these podcast episodes, I try to not... I like talking about the meaty stuff, and there's a lot of... There's a few, you know, quick scenes over here and there. Yeah, I mean, we don't need to talk about Gabriel Demas at all. I just thought it was funny when I think they arrived at the house for dinner, Mm -hmm. and I think it was David that just acknowledges him by saying oh gabriel demas yeah (laughs) i I don't know why that was it just it's it's one of those things where it's like like you know what my girlfriend didn't laugh at that but i did you know i know know yes exactly what gabriel demas is is about and and, yeah and and, we know what what he's going to become and uh, what will become of him and and what he was and all that but and if you're listening to this podcast more likely than not, you're a big fan of the show. You're someone who rewatches a television show, and you know what we're talking about when David acknowledges and he says, he "Doesn't say, hey, Gabe." He says, "Hmm, Gabriel Demas." <laughs> like he knows. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's those little things, and again, that's what separates this show. Like you said earlier, that there isn't really another that you can compare. Not only in in the context of oh, it's a family living in a funeral home in Southern California in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. but also the characters and the types of characters and the shit that they deal with, <laughs> and the way that they interact with each other, and also the way that they that they change. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you see it even within one episode, there is a change. Yeah. They're, they're very, very, very as if they were real people. Yeah, you know, yeah. and that's that's attractive as as an audience member. That's attractive as as if you're writing shows, if you're a writer, a director, producer, actor, if you're a mortician, if you're a funeral director, if anything. Yeah. If you're in a relationship, if you're not in a relationship. <laughs> you're yeah, black yeah. if you're white, if you're a man or if you're a woman. It's it's just very, very relatable. And uh, yeah, I love it. No, well, well said. Uh, so thank you very much, Joey. I think you had some, that was, <laughs> you definitely helped me out major with the, the life and death scene. Cause I was having such a hard time verbalizing it. Right. Yeah. I knew what I felt, but I couldn't verbalize it. And a podcast. It well, that's what I do. I bring out feelings. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> Sometimes I try to push them back in too, but. Uh, so again, uh, I'm going to have the link on my website at diggingpodcast.com. Uh, 
if you're in the New York City area and you'd like to see Joey at his stage production, uh, and it will be air uh, going on March 24th through April 2nd. Uh, again, the, the link will be on my website. It's sishows.com. If you're in the New York City area, definitely go check it out. Like I said, you could go there at diggingpodcast.com. I'm on Twitter at diggingpodcast, uh, Facebook like us we're at digging six feet under uh just if you're depending on how you're listening to these episodes we had done a bonus podcast last week on the movie my girl it's the close you know i want to do like a bonus podcast. say that again veda sultan yes that's right that's it yeah, that, that, that's her. That's her. Salt and fuss. Uh, it's I, I like. I wanted to do some. I wanted to branch out a little bit of the six feet under lens that I do this podcast. I love into. when Dan Aykroyd plays his tuba outside on the <laughs> Grand Mo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was that was a good scene. Uh, it, it's funny, that, you know. While while doing, let me say this: if you're listening to this episode, there, you know, we relate it. We try to parallel it to six feet under, and there's definitely, you know, it's it's a family in a funeral home, and the movie ends up being more about relationships than it is about death or a funeral home. So I would say definitely go check it out. We, you know, it, it's, it's an hour. It's just something we wanted to do to promote this season two that we're starting and, you know, just have a different take on something outside of six feet under. Yeah, tell that to Macaulay Culkin. You know? Oh boy. <laughs> it's, a, it's not about death. <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, take a listen to our episode next week as we'll be doing episode two of season two with the episode titled out out brief candle uh thank you joey thank you for joining me thank you victor and this was uh this was great and i'll speak to you next week thanks for listening everybody Thank you for listening to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. Join us on the next episode as we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under. Please search and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes under Digging Six Feet Under. The Digging Six Feet Under podcast is in no way affiliated with HBO or Six Feet Under, and the views expressed here are solely that of the hosts. No infringement is intended.